Welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com. Samhain Special 2014 A Tale to Remember. Well, for our Samhain Special this year, we decided instead of beginning with an audio story, we have put up a video. A video of us on the blog. <laughs> story um, And this was us doing a storytelling gig about a year ago uh, at Fela Driechte in Dublin, um, 2013. That's a great uh, festival organised by our dear friends, Barbara and Laura, uh, who are also great supporters of a story archaeology. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was in a kind of a marketplace setting, but it was over kind of lunchtime in between lectures and workshops. So we had a bit of a captive audience. Yeah, we were the um, planned timetabled entertainment. Exactly, yeah. Um, but of course, although it was a marketplace setting, we were, of course, expecting and got a yeah. very sort of sympathetic, interesting audience. Oh, yeah. But yeah, we, we didn't have to try and drag people in off the street or anything like that. <laughs> but being Either Halloween, or. we really had to choose the right stories mm. that would last around 20 minutes or exactly. so, and that would interest people, but yeah. still keep up the sort of uh, story archaeology standard. Exactly, yeah. Um, not easy to do, actually, <laughs> in terms of choosing stories. Yeah. Now, we went for the obvious, of because uh, we chose one of our favourite stories, yes. and one that fits the Samhain season. Yeah, and that's the Echtranera, which uh, fans will know we've already done More two once. podcasts which are largely focused around this, including uh, the Samhain special Corpse Carrying for Beginners, which we will be referring back to, I think, and is still... always do. Yeah, but it's it's kind of a classic, I would yeah, say. Yeah. I would call that classic story archaeology, because it takes place at Samhain, it's about yeah. sort of venturing into the well, other world. And... You know, it's a memorable story. Yeah. I mean, for a start, it's got a talking corpse. Not yes. every story has that. No. And this is one that insinuates its dead arms around Nira's neck and yeah. attaches itself firmly to his back before issuing its sepulchral demand. Yes, yes. You can't get rid of it. Exactly. And uh, as we said in Corpse Carrying, this is a really very strong image that will stay with listeners yeah. and as I think we proved stayed within the storytelling tradition for at least a thousand years yeah and of course it's also got uh, another of our big themes uh, the entrance to the other world yes and a that very special other world absolutely and that direct contrast between the summer world of the other world and the winter of the mortal world um, and the time dilation is the best example I think of the time dilation it, it effect it is and you can just imagine the story sort of thrilling any audience sitting in the sort of fire flickering shadow listening to the storyteller's voice. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, well, especially it starts with that kind of sound dare, you know, so you can see it almost slipping into that from... Yeah, the withy round the corpse of the hanged man. Yeah. You can't ask for a better story for Halloween. So, but But yes, we do. There's more to it, though, isn't there? You've also got this uh, teaching element. Oh, yes, yeah. It's that sort of element of proper behaviour. It's that proper behaviour around how to arrange your house to keep out malevolent influence. Influences, all the stuff with the mm. foot water and smearing the fire. Wow. All the things you should do. The right because this is a time of the year when the two worlds are sort of lying parallel to exactly. each other. And uh, they're both good, but yeah. you don't want them leaching into exactly. one another. Exactly. And that's, it gets confusing. It does rather. <laughs> 
<laughs> Warns and entertains a memorable yeah, story. Yeah, definitely. Right, but we've talked about the story of Mira so many times. It's very difficult not to get into it again. So we should really have a look at the other story that we included in that storytelling oh, show. Oh, yeah. Now, this is the story of Colin Whale. Yeah. It's one of my favourite telling stories. Yeah. Now, we're going to assume that you have watched the video that's uh, up there on our blog. So we're not going to go through the story in detail. But it is essentially, it's one of the stories of Fionn and of the Fianna. It's where he and a few of his men are trapped within this kind of enchanted castle or palace or whatever you want to call it. Dune in my case. Yes, a dune. And uh, at a magical feast, um, they can't escape easily. And of course, the story also features at its centre, Conan Whale. Conan Whale, yes. He's also known as Conan McMorna, um, given as the brother of Gull McMorna, who in some ways is Fionn's chief rival um, but the epithet of Cunnan Whale we've met in Whale a couple of times before yeah. uh, in its basic sense means bald but I think it can also kind of mean blunt as well okay. you know so I think it can be a bit of a pejorative especially when it's applied to him well he does appear in quite it's several Fenian stories and he's you're right he's usually a somewhat comic character um, a sort of greedy buffoon. Yeah. And he's selfish, cowardly, and very loud mouthed, but loyal and will not run away in a fight. And I think there I'm quoting Peter <laughs> Quite possibly. But he's definitely got that kind of bluntness, and you're never quite sure whether he's a fool or possibly even a satirist. Yeah, they, they certainly um, don't like what he says a lot of the no, time. No. They can't ignore it. No. The thing about this story is it's always gone down so very well. Mm. It's a very much part of my Warriors and Wizards family show. And yeah. it's, I like it because it's really popular with boys and you can get all the boys to act parts. Yeah, and, yeah. And so forth. And uh, with Colin Ware eating and them all getting stuck in this building. Yeah. I love the motive at the end. You mm -hmm. know? With the clapping the sheepskin on the back. Well, there's just one problem with this story. Mm. It's, I've told it now for well over 20 years, mm. and I think it's morphed a bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some aspects have become simplified to make it work in the classroom and so on, and other ex aspects have been expanded. Mm. And even the bit about eating slugs and stuff, I have no idea where that came from. Yeah. It just is the way, the way I tell it. I don't know when the, that version became sort of canon to me because I tell it word for word. Yeah, now, yeah. And I've done for years. Yeah. I have a feeling I pinched the beginning from Robin Williamson, yeah. one of my very favourite storytellers. Yeah. I, I heard him do it years ago mm. and I think it's stuck in my head. Oh, yeah. I just hope I didn't pinch, pinch a lot more of it. I <laughs> probably did. Well, that's kind of how storytellers work though, you know, is that kind of leeching little bits from here and little bits from there and what sticks in your mind. Cause we're talking about memorable tales yeah and that though. it was so many elements of that memorable tale yeah i mean i've used it in classrooms libraries and uh oh yeah once <laughs> even at a feast when the guest of honor was george martin yes, yes. and i got lots of adults from yes. me to come and join in oh the hardened like, warriors yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all these real actors playing yeah. eating you know sort of getting stuck in a roundhouse and yeah. eating snails and things well it's worth having a look and comparing the way that this story now exists in your canon to the way that Conan Whale appears in some textual sources. None of these are particularly early, but then, you know, Fenian stuff never is. The stories of Fionn the Fianna weren't really considered literary material until 12th century at the very earliest. Yeah. They go back a long way in oral form. I they? think they do, but yeah. this is one of the 
issues with them um, is that they're only written down when it comes to early modern Irish, yeah, yeah. Uh, linguistically speaking. But in some of these earlier texts, anyway, because we do have oral versions going right up to the 19th century, so in some of the mm-hmm. earlier ones, um, Conan is not quite such a comical sort of buffoon of a character. Um, he can be a bit dark and malicious mm. in many ways. Um, like There's one story of uh, three women who, who have been captured by the Fianna, their enemy uh, prisoners, um, but they're definitely captives. Conan goes against the orders of Fionn and just kills them in captivity. Yeah, so it, it's it's quite a bit dark, a bit vicious. Yeah, and it's said something that's said of him, he never sought justice from anyone and gave his curse to whomsoever did justice to him. Yes. So he's, he's country and a bit yeah. of a poison tongue. He really reminds me of Brickford. Yeah, now the poison tongue element, I think, is particularly important, and we'll come to see that when we go through yeah. these versions, that that in many ways, I think that's his strength. You know, that it's actually... That's his role. That's his role, is to tell the unpopular truth. Yeah. Doesn't Dothio Hogan sort of suggest that he might have even had a a magical evil eye? Well, I mean, you know, I'm not sure about it, but he, go on. His basis for this, to my mind, is a bit of a stretch. Um, he talks about how uh, Conan is described as far vilt in the fene, yeah. and uh, which kind of means the destructive man. Of the Fianna. Fianna's destructive weapon. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) His big gun. (laughs) Yeah, possibly, possibly. He connects this with the term Sulvilta, meaning an evil eye or poisoned eye or something like that. But just because it uses the same adjective, Milta, I I do feel that's a bit of a stretch. Um, The term to me suggests, um, on the one hand, the kind of destruction of oaths Mm-hmm. And contract. So it might be referring to Conan as a kind of a, oh, an oath breaker. An evil eye. <laughs> no, that's not fair either. <laughs> but, you know, someone who's faithless or not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether that's to do with his being kind of loyal still to the McMorna tribe, even though he's under Fionn's leadership. Comes from an opposing. Exactly. Team. You can be quite sure of his loyalty. Exactly, yeah. Although he's always described as loyal. Well, this is the thing, you know, there, there's that kind of uncertainty about mm-hmm. the quality of his loyalty. The other kind of reading that I would put on the term Milta, and this might be where that evil eye connection comes from, is that it can mean sort of deformed or destroyed, like a physical deformity. And it might have come from that idea of someone with a, a deformed face or a deformed eye then, you know, casting the evil eye or just wishing ill on other people. Mm-hmm. That, that might be that sense in which it it's meant. It struck me, you know, that the, there's this term blunt, mm. that he's um, straight talking. Yeah. And in a way, that's kind of, I've got my eye on you and I'll say what I see. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's just a guess. Yes. The yeah. reason that I mention it mm. is because O'Hogan, um, he does mention that he ill wishes his enemies by where well, he says kills enemies by looking at them through his hands. Now, yeah. I have come across this idea of you put your hands in front of your face and mm. what you say, see through them, can be warped and changed. Yeah. I've come across that, but not necessarily connected to uh, Colin Wales. Yeah. Well, the, the thing oh. is, though, that Ohogon, I, I think he's not great on mythology, to be honest with you. He's more of a medieval historian. Um, His book can be a good resource for, you know, sort of the romances and particularly things like Cycles of the King and so on, you know, but he's n- he doesn't really get mythology. I'd be better able to answer the question fully if I'd read all of Jacqueline Borscht's wonderful book on the Celtic evil eye. You need to get with that. But yeah, exactly. I haven't got to the end of that yet, so ask me again when I've finished.
finished it. <laughs> or read it and make up your own mind. Exactly. Well, well, well worth a read. Definitely. But I suppose the point is that suddenly this uh, comic, greedy, loudmouth buffoon mm. is beginning to sound a bit more sort of serious and significant. Yeah, yeah. Not quite so much fun. But no. <laughs> now, I went looking for versions of the story mm -hmm. and... Uh, I thought if we use these versions to discuss today, yes. you know, and the first one is The Palace of the Quicken Trees, uh, translated by P.W. Joyce in yes. 1920. Yes. He's fairly secure. Oh, he, yeah, he's a reliable source, yeah. And I've also backed that up with uh, Lady Gregory, who, yeah. good old dependable Lady G, yeah. <laughs> and she seems to have based some of her stuff on similar sources. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. She always gives sources to exactly, which yeah. a change. Yeah. And then in the same book, P.W. Joyce also gives the chase of Schlie food yeah and there's another oral version mm -hmm. collected by jeremiah Curtin, yes who's a good and reliable folk collector oh well. yeah absolutely and that one then comes all the way down to the 19th century so yeah. we've got a few sort of centuries worth there so between them as far as i can see they mm. cover all the elements that go into my orally recorded story yes so that's fionn and other members of the fiona are trapped in a house a yeah. palace a roundhouse a mm -hmm. castle by magical bees. And I think it was me what made it a roundhouse. Yeah. Because when I'm working with schools, I want to give this Iron Age resonance. Exactly, yeah. Then there's Colin's gluttony being yeah. central. Yeah. There's the fact that he sticks to a floral wall and leaves the skin of his back behind. Yes. And then there's the the fact that a sheepskin is placed on his back yeah. and sticks and there it stays and there it grows and yeah. afterwards they shear him. Yeah. <laughs> so those are the elements yeah. that we're looking for. And that we're tracing through these texts. Those are the elements of a story that, as you say, would make the audience grin, grimace or wince. And so they're <laughs> likely to stick in the mind. Yeah, you just watch them, people go, ooh. Exactly, yes. You watch for when they cross their legs. But of course, even with those elements, the setting and the details and some of the repartee even, mm. that's going to evolve and change in different storytellers' hands depending on who they are and where they are and who their audience is. Mm. And that's what you would expect yeah. in a story that has remained a told story over a long period a very, of time. very, very long time. Yes. And what is surprising is, despite these minor differences, mm. the central images retain so strongly. Exactly. And those are the ones then that you kind of go, ah, that's important. Joyce's translation, he offers, what is it, three manuscripts mm. as source for the Palace of the Quicken Trees and says that it's probable that these were oral tellings that's transcribed in the 18th and 19th century. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two of them quite early in the 18th. The other one, which is the chase of Schlieve Fuert. Yeah. Then it's like what he says. He says, there are many good copies in the, of these tales in the manuscripts of the Royal Irish Academy, but not one of them I have seen is older than the last century. Yes. <laughs> so he's complaining they're 19th century. Yes. Yeah. Well, I presume what he means by that is that the language is very recent. Very modern. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, there's Jeremiah Curtin's mm. oral one. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, that he seems to have collected in Kerry mm. in or around 1887. That's what we're dealing exactly. with Exactly, that's what we're dealing with. They're linguistically quite late. But these are really quite long and complicated texts for the most They're part. huge stories in their own right. Yeah, this is supposed to be a, a quick little one-off special, so we are not going to go through <laughs> that's them That's what we always say! I know, it's especially what you always say. <laughs> so we are not, and I re repeat, not going to go through them all in detail but we will put up links to them on the blog and oh, they are so well worth reading they really are yeah particularly the first one from pw joyce i think is a treat so you know we'll do our best and well, let's uh, get going yeah just see what the similarities and differences are right so let's start with the house of the quicken trees mm -hmm. joyce's version yes now um having 
had a chance to have a look at this text now. We read through it yeah, today. Yeah. And this is really fascinating. It's I know, quite, I'm quite excited. It is, it. yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those, oh, great, we found something new. And especially in the opening, because um, despite being, you know, a, a later Fenian tale, it's got this deep awareness of some of the oldest myths and epics, and most particularly our dear favourite, Moitura. Aha, yeah. And in fact, it starts with the character of Colga, who is said to be the king of Lachlan, you know, of the, the Scandinavian countries. Or the outsiders from exactly. over there. Over there, yeah, yonder. Um, and he does say that he's directly descended from the Fuvara. Yeah, I'll read just one little bit first, yeah. because I love the way he talks. This yes. is Colga talking. Do you not know that I am called king of the four tribes of Lachlan and of the islands of the sea? And yet there is one island which acknowledges not my rule. And when they'd asked which of the islands he meant, he said, that island is Erin of the Green Hills. My forefathers indeed held sway over it, and many of our brave warriors died there in fight. There fell the great King Balor of the Mighty Blows, his son Bresh also, and his queen, Kath- it's Kathlender, but yeah. we know it's Kathleen of the Crooked Teeth. Yes. <laughs> Very familiar characters. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I also quite like that this is... It's almost novelistic. It's telling the story from the other side, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's sort of the enemy's view of how we lost, you know, so many of our finest warriors mm-hmm. in this great battle. I love it. Apologise for Erin, but that's the title. That, it was written in, it was translated in 1920. Yes, it's, it's full of anglicisations, which could so. be quite difficult to, to back engineer, yeah. So Colga, anyway, is determined to retake Ireland and fulfil, you know, the promises of his forefathers, and he brings troops of Lachlan warriors over to Ireland, and there's a mighty 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 battle and lots of slaying and blood but it's Fionn and the Fianna who managed to rally and push them out and kill lots of them including yes, Colga himself so Fionn has now beat the father exactly well. it's not just the old ones it's him as well <laughs> exactly yeah he gets a piece of that action yeah. um, but at the at the last moment so to speak uh, Colga's son Mithuk uh, is spared and what's more Fionn goes so far as to take him on as a foster son so it's it's almost like he's halfway between an mm. enemy hostage but he's given the status of a son mm, he's a young. prince he's kept he is. the prince exactly yeah yeah but i just no i just love the bit where he's done what the ancestors did. exactly he's part of the great story oh I yeah like that. yeah it's great but the interesting thing is he he's uh, always a little bit taciturn mm. and i'm not surprised really yeah, yeah. he's actually one of the fianna yes exactly he yeah. is en- enrolled in the fianna itself yeah now this is where conan comes in because conan who seems to be this one who sees everything yeah he sees what other people don't want to see yeah and he constantly warns Fionn that um, Mithok isn't what he seems. Mm. He's just not really one of them. He's just acting the part. And mm. he really shouldn't keep him around because at the moment he's overhearing everything that's said. Exactly. So he suggests that Fionn should give him his own uh, establishment. Yeah. He could choose some land mm. and uh, set him up somewhere else. Yeah. And in fact, Fionn thinks it's a really good idea. And he sets him up. He allows... Um, Mithok to choose yeah. where he wants, which exactly. is in the Shannon. He chooses areas in the Shannon, yes, around exactly. the Shannon. Yeah, but quite quite far away from where the Fianna are set. Outside the country. Exactly, in Hill of Allen in, in Leinster. Yeah. And there he is, back in our, more or less, in our area. Exactly, yes. yes. Somewhere in the wild. Down. <laughs> 
I think yeah, he's looking at all those islands. He's talking about the Longford area down towards Mullingar. Yes, it? quite possibly. Sort of Lockery, Lockdur. Yeah. Haven't looked it up. No, but no, it's no. Called Kenry. Yes, which is. And I wonder whether the... it's Lockery area. Yeah, it could well be. It could well be a headland on on Lockery. We Lockery. must go and look that up sometime. We, we haven't done it now. <laughs> this text is so vast, we just couldn't <laughs> have tracked it all down. So it's fine, except that he really is planning to uh, revenge on Fionn all the time. Now it's not surprising that a foster father would set up his foster son in this way and give him, you know, a very wealthy establishment and houses and lands and property and cattle and the whole bit. I mean, if we just think of back to the story of Oingus and Mither, where mm-hmm. um, Mither set up his foster son, Oingus, you know, with very good lands, obviously, mm-hmm. in the Bruna Boyan. Um, and so, you know, that's not surprising. And he does have this very high status as being fostered by the head of the Fianna. Um, and in fact, he's given so much wealth. It's all, you've Kind of feel a bit like he's been paid off, but he's given so much wealth that he is actually a very wealthy brother. Yeah, and um, it's very high status. Exactly, now. and that's sort of specified in in this text, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. But he fails as a brother because he doesn't invite anyone round to his house, and what's more, he fails as a son because he doesn't invite his family round for hospitality. He doesn't invite round. Really you can't keep the parents out. I know, I know. But this this is really very serious. It means yeah. he's a mock ingor, which is an undutiful son, and that is a very serious offence. And I think Conan is aware of this. I think so, yeah. And right through this, what really interests me is that perspicacity that Conan has. Yeah, for a buffoon, a, a well, sort so, of... Exactly. Uh, a clown, a buffoon. Mm. It's, it's, we're getting this, this wise fool. Exactly. The one, the only one in the court who can tell the, the truth to the king. Well, that sort of sets up the story and all the yeah. backstory's done. And yeah. now we can really begin with the story itself. And, yeah. and sure enough, it begins in a really recognisable way. There's Fionn and his friends out hunting. Of course. So they do get to go out hunting. Yes. And they're sitting on the top of the hill one day when this wonderful, guess what, fairy warrior. Yeah. You know, the sort of one all dressed up in this marvellous, like Mither. Exactly, yeah. Or uh, Mananon. Or Mananon, yeah. He appears in the same way with the spear and with the sword and all the wonderful clothes. Yeah. And he just comes glowing onto the top of the hill and speaks to Fionn. And, but what he asks him, he invites him to a poetry reading. Yes. <laughs> there and now, on the top of the hill, yes. listen to my poetry, for I am a great poet. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Fionn, of course, being um, Fionn, who mm. likes poetry, goes, um, yeah, but maybe not on the top of the hill why don't you come back to my place and we'll listen to your poetry I'll reward you like a good poet exactly what's interesting then is that this wondrous stranger puts Fionn under a gesh and he says no you have to hear it here and you have to hear it now yeah, now we well, there's one other thing that's really important at this point because Mm. of course it's Conan again yes and Conan's going hang on hang on what's wrong with you Fionn can't you see what's happening you know who that is don't you and Fionn's going, no, it's a great poet. And he's going, no, it's not, it's Mythok. Yeah. And at that point, Fionn realises that mm. it is Mythok. Yeah. But it's too late, the gash is there. Exactly. So yeah. they have to sit there and listen to his poetry. Yeah. And the poetry, which is wonderful, go and read it uh, in the original Even text. Even though in this version it's done in rhyme, but he's done his best. It's not, uh, given not some of the all. translations that we have read of poetry, this... I mean, like when? Oh, God, don't... <laughs> Sorry. This one actually ranks quite well and yeah, gives a good flavour. But what it is, is a great riddle game. And what it puts me in mind of, of course, is battle raps. Yeah, you yeah. know, but it's it's basically, I'm going to tell you this thing in riddle and then you have to guess what I'm talking At about. At least he doesn't say, what has it got what in his pockets? Pocket <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it is a gorgeous little exchange. And of course, Fionn being him, Fionn being Fionn, who is a poet in his own right, exactly. he gets 
every time. He gets yeah. the answer every time. Exactly, no problem. But it's it's sort of not enough, mm. you know. In the end, he's persuaded to go to this uh, house of the quicken trees, exactly, to have a feast and hear more poetry. Yes, exactly. The, because of this guest, Mithic has now ensnared his old foster father into coming to his house. Now, this version that we're working from, P. W. Joyce's translation, it really is a long, long text. It comes to over 400 lines. Yeah, I counted. Yeah, <laughs> he's divided it into five chapters. And yeah, do go and read it. But, you know, it's complicated. We don't have time to look at it all here now, although we will one day. Maybe it's better to work from Lady Gregory's version for a bit, because that's more concise, I think. Well, I was wondering if the centre, the important bit of the mm. story that relates to the, shall we say, the more modern recorded story, or yeah. any recorded story that I've been working from. Mm. Um, and this bit is just the central, the heart of the mm. story. Mm. So it's only a short bit, a few paragraphs. Yeah. So this is Lady Gregory's version. It was by treachery Mithoc brought them into the house, giving himself out to be a poet and making poems for Fionn to make out the meaning of. A verse he made about a great army that he saw riding over the plains to victory and robbing all before it, and the riders having no horses but plants and branches. Oh, I understand that, said Fionn. It was an army of bees you saw, and that was gathering riches from the flowers as it went. And another verse Mithoc made about a woman in Ireland that was swifter than the swiftest horse. Oh, I know that, said Fionn. That woman is a river boy, and uh, if she goes slow herself, she's swifter in the end than the swiftest horse, because she never stops. Another verse is he made about Oingus's house at the Brunaboyn, but Fionn made them all out. And after that he said he had a feast ready for them, and he bade them go into his house of the quicken trees till he would bring it. And they did that, and went in, and it was a beautiful house, having walls of every colour, and coverings of every colour on the floor, and a fire that gave out a very pleasant smoke. And they sat down there, and after a while, Fionn said, It's a wonder that such a beautiful house is here. Oh, there's a greater wonder than that, said Gull, that fire that was so pleasant when we came into the house. It's now giving out the worst stench in the world. Oh, there's a greater wonder than that, said Glass. The walls that were all of all colours are now but rough boards joined together. And there's a greater wonder than that, said Fierke. Where there were seven high doors to the house, there is now but one little door, and it's shut. Indeed, there's a more wonderful thing than any of those, said Colin, for we sat down on beautiful coverings, and now there's nothing between us and the bare ground, and it's cold as the snow of one night. And he tried to rise up, but he could not stir, or any of the rest of them, for there was an enchantment that kept them where they were. So now we've got them all stuck to the ground. Excellent, just where, right where we want them. And that takes that whole thing about, look at that, that and it mm. suddenly... Everything changes, yeah. becomes enchanted, yeah. and what was beautiful now becomes stark and ugly. Yes. Although I must admit, in my version, I have them in a roundhouse, and I know why I've done it. It's because yeah. I'm working with kids, and it's nice to give an impression of the Iron Age roundhouse. Exactly, yeah. And uh, therefore, what was made by artifice is mm. now turning back into the natural things. Yeah. It feels intuitive. Well, it, it gives the same effect, you know. Yeah. But once again, we have Conan here pointing out this unpleasant truth. Um, and Fionn doesn't see it. It's extraordinary, right the way through this, in all the versions, Fionn doesn't seem the most, you know, perspicacious. And in the full version of this, and Mm. the other stories which we're going to hear, Colin says, uh, chew your thumb, Fionn, and find out whether there's anything we can do. Exactly. And each time, Fionn puts his, it's either he chooses some yeah. or he puts it on the tooth of knowledge. Exactly. And each time he says, no, we're stuffed. Yeah, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. We're caught. But the fact that he has to be prompted to do it is like, <laughs> use your magic power for goodness sake. 
Well, he doesn't come across as the brightest in the bunch. Uh, it's it's in he can he can react. Yeah, he can't can't initiate the action. Yeah, he can't initiate. Not in these stories. Yeah, the house is by a ford, and there's many battles. Oh and yeah, one by one, Fionn's men turn up, and each in turn they try and hold the ford against hundreds of warriors. Yeah, and, and uh, certainly his son and his foster son are overcome in the yes. end. Yeah, and then Dimmit turns up, and yes. he holds the ford, and uh, you know he cuts off Mythok's head in the end. Although yes. there's an awful lot more. Oh, of there's it. so much beheading. It really is quite ridiculous. Yeah. I'll take this head to you. <laughs> yeah. Is this Fionn's head? No, it isn't his fiance. Go and get fiance. Won't this one do? <laughs> and so on. Yeah. But it's a great story. Oh, it and is it's gorgeous. Got, the battles are in such detail. Oh, God, yeah. An awful lot. In fact, we started skipping them, I have to say. <laughs> oh, but they're very good. Yeah, yeah. That is really well constructed. Now, Mythok had been planning, when he met, just before he met Dermot, mm. he'd been planning to torment Conan with food. Yes. He was going to hold it outside the house. Yeah. So Because he knows that Conan is a great trencher man. He yeah. really loves his food. Yeah. So he's planning to drive him mad by holding food. Yeah. Yeah. The smell and savour of it could, could <laughs> go into the house and yeah. you couldn't get any of it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the only trouble is that when Dermot finally gets there, yeah. uh, Colin, who hasn't even seen or sniffed this food because it's still lying by the ford with yeah. the ford with the dead uh, with body all the dead bodies off. yeah he goes look 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 i don't care what else happens yeah. just go and get me some get food no i need the food no <laughs> what are you talking about aren't there more Isn't urgent it? things yeah, there's an army down the road at the island there's the three there's the king of the world and his yeah. minions and they're all about to come and kill you <laughs> and you're telling me that i can't rescue you yeah. i've got to find your food yeah what's really nice is that at this point Khan turns around to Dermot and says, well, if I, well, in this one, he actually calls him Dermot Naman, you know, oh, ladies man, Dermot. Oh, Dermot of the women. If I was a beautiful woman lying here, you wouldn't hesitate, but you would run off and do exactly what I asked. You'd be quick enough to get anything else if I was female. Exactly. Dermot's answer is interesting yeah. because he says, look, I'm going to have to give you, I can't stand your taunts. Mm. You know, um, facing a whole army would be better than your taunts. Exactly. So he takes it very seriously. Yeah. And I think this gives us a big clue into Conan's character, personally. You know, that basically he, he's threatening satire. I it seems think. like it. Yeah. And that that has taken much more <laughs> seriously. There are a few skeletons in the closet that well, he about. The, yeah. There could well, be that. skeletons. Too. Yeah. yeah. A few secrets <laughs> under the bed. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes off to the palace, but the palace, of course, has got the, the, the you know the top dogs in it. He's yeah, got the, the king of the camp. world, yeah. and he's got the you know the other the other serious enemies in yeah. it. You know, it's supposed to be the strongest uh, warriors in the entire world. Exactly. So, so what he does is he sneaks in and stands by the door, and when one of the servants comes by with a drinking horn, mm. he clunks him on the head and takes the drinking <laughs> horn without letting a drop spill out. <laughs> And then as he goes through, mm. um, he, we're carrying the drinking horn and pretending to be drinking among all the sort of guests. Yeah. He goes over to where someone was a platter mm. and Molo says, I'll give that to the king. And yeah. he takes the platter and walks out. I know, it's a, it's a great scene. It's purely, it's absolutely cinematic. Exactly. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And of course, he takes this back. The trouble is, of course, he's outside the house and mm. Colin's inside and he said, well, how am I going to get the food to you? Mm. Of course, don't worry about that. He says, just cut a hole in the, the side of the house and push yeah. it through. Exactly. <laughs> well, he, he says, there's a weak point over there. You can mm. get it through. And then he said, well, how do I get the drink to you? Yeah. Spill. So he says, cut a hole in the ceiling and drop yeah. it down and I'll open my mouth. Exactly. <laughs> Just pour it in. <laughs> there's still yet more battle to come. There's always more battle to come with the Fianna. 
Um, and this battle, though, is against these three mighty kings of the north, you know, so King of the World and, and, and the other two. And they're described as giants. They, they're very yeah. much foveran type giants. Ogres. Big scaries. Yeah, 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 exactly. Boss fight. You've got to remember that Fiona said that the only way they could be freed is if they get the blood from the three kings mm. and, uh, in a goblet and pour it on the door. Yeah. And on seats and that'll release them. Exactly. So this is absolutely so this essential. Is essential. They can't yeah. just ignore it. Mm. Well, uh, I mean, it's another battle at the Ford. Yes. And it's all, oh, well, you haven't killed them. You weren't strong enough, so I'll go. Exactly. So yeah. one by one, the kings say, ha, you didn't take a strong enough force. If yeah. you can't kill Fionn, I'll go myself. Exactly. And, and one by one, they go and Jim and kill them. Exactly. And Until they... finally, the king of the world says, oh, you see, you weren't strong enough, so I'll go. <laughs> and then he gets killed, of course. Yeah, yeah. And then they take the blood, it's carried back, they open the door, yeah. and they free the, the Fenians. Yeah. We mustn't forget the last battle. I know, because even though they're free of the enchantment, it, Fionn once again says, we're not going to be we're able not... to come and help yet, because no, we're going to be... weak, weak. till dawn comes. Exactly. So... You're going to have to hold the ford against the enemy army all yes, night. So yeah. they, they've lost all the biggies. Yeah, but yes. there's still the army. Exactly. So there's um, Diamond standing at the ford, hacking and slaying. And it says, when the sun rose, he mm. didn't even notice. Yeah. He was so weary and so busy fighting. Yeah. And there's suddenly all oh. Fenians behind yeah. him, and there's slaughter. Exactly. And the sun rises, and they're all free. Exactly. And it glitters on the blood and the faces of the slain. <laughs> No, um, no, no sort of sadness like there is in my great was the grave lying and so exactly. it was all taken so so here it's just wow it's really hack and slash I'm afraid it is but well, that's part of the charm of the Fenians whether you like it or not it is although to be fair in the earlier parts of the story any time one of Fionn's people dies oh yes it's the there is too. this great description of how you know he hears the news and is silent for a while yeah it says it says for a while there was no sound coming from behind the door yeah. until Fionn could bring himself to answer yeah. And so it's 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 really quite a tender description in a lot of ways. You and know? I love the way when they're caught, they sing this wonderful chant. Oh that... yes, there's the third fian, which is mm. part of what calls their help, and they sing it... help actually from the other end of the country. Exactly, to say that. It's so much. There's too story. much. We can't go over it all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great story, and it you know if we look at it now, we've got we've only got two of our motives. Mm. We've got. Conan's gluttony, yeah. which is very clear here, yeah. and the entrapment in the magical house. Yes, yeah, which there's a very big setup for yeah. in this version. But that central image of the skinned back, yeah, that's missing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of curious. After that bit with Conan demanding the food off Tyramid, he's kind of forgotten in this text. It's mm -hmm. then all about fighting the enemy and so on. So we don't really hear more from him. I think that's probably explained when we look at the next story. Exactly, yeah. Well, the chase of Schlieffood is, is just an equally complicated story. If not more so, in certain <laughs> respects. Well, in this one, Fionn and the other members of the Fiona are captured, this time, by a giant called Driantor. And his sister Elna. Yeah. Just right. as bad as he is, if not worse. <laughs> and this time they do get lost while they're out hunting. Yes. That's what they're supposed to do. Exactly. And while they are out on this hunt, they startle a deer. And this deer leads them a merry dance miles and miles and miles away from Armagh, where they start way over to Donegal. That's where it is, isn't Exactly. It? It's the fuse of Armagh. Away over to Donegal, and then promptly turns around and leads them all the way back again, by which time most of the Fianna are straggling behind, and it's only Fionn and his mate Dara who make it all the way back to exactly where they started from on Schlieffuit. Some deer. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really interested in this deer. It's not really clear at this point in the story whether she's part of the plot to try and capture Fionn and Dara yeah. or whether she's in some way trying to help them out of what's going to be a rather tricky situation. Well, actually, reading the text, I'm not even sure whether it's a male or a female deer. <laughs> I mean, it's described as huge and fierce with great dangerous antlers, which would suggest a male deer, mm-hmm. a stag. But all the way through, she is referred to as she. Yes, well, it might seem Simply be a problem of gendered nouns. We're just uh, not sure what they're hunting. Exactly. It's obviously a magical deer of some kind. Well, exactly. Magic explains it all, doesn't it? Well, they're still sort of looking for this deer and suddenly they're aware of it again and off they go. This is Fiona Dora. Yes. It? Yeah. And then they suddenly find themselves lost in some sort of magical fairy mist. Mm-hmm. I think Joyce calls it a druidical mist. Yes. Although that could just be Driachtul, which is magical as well as druidical. So. Yeah, a magical mist. Yeah. And they stumble around in the bog, getting hopelessly lost and torn to pieces by bits of thorn and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, just in the normal sort of fairy-driven way. Ah, yeah. Until they admit they're totally lost and then they <laughs> sit down to sing sad songs. Yes. Dara, the musician, yes. he takes out his timpan. Yeah. What's a timpan? Well, it was really unknown or uncertain, I would say, until very recently. Um, Fergus Kelly has pointed out that it's always described as having strings um, but it does also seem to have a, a percussive element to it as well as the, as the sort of Latin related timpan, timpani. Well that's what I thought. Exactly and that was what a lot of people thought um, but like I say it's always described as having strings uh, we don't have much more to go on, it's, it's a lost instrument, we don't have drawings, we don't have any archaeological examples So that's it, it's that's, just a timpan Yeah, it's with a timpan, yeah exactly that you can bang. Well it, it might be similar to <laughs> There are some African instruments with the long neck and a few strings. Oh, you mean like the one I've got, which exactly. looks like a sort of gourd with a face cut in exactly. it. Exactly, and the gourd which acts as a resonator. Yeah, and at two the strings. Yeah, that you it or something. yeah, that kind well, of thing. It had a bow, didn't it? It does have a bow. Yeah, but I don't think the timpon would have had a bow. Yeah, well, that doesn't have a very effective bow. <laughs> You're the only person I know give anything out of it at all. <laughs> so after uh, Darrow, who's called the Melodious, has sat there singing the lamentation himself and Fionn, they raised this door. Fian. Sort of chance. Exactly. We yeah. had this in the, exactly like in the previous story. And they send this out sort of as a signal to the rest of the Fianna. Yeah, but this time it has unexpected results. Oh, it does. It. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Because the, the Fianna can all hear it. But somebody goes, it's coming from the north. No, it's coming from the south. Oh, no, it's west. And, it's, and they will go off in different directions. Yeah. So they're amazed as well. Yes. So they're sort of lost in the mist and utterly bewildered. Exactly. Great, isn't it? Yeah. Now, even though everyone is lost in this mist, somehow Fionn and Dara still managed to meet a mysterious woman, um, who I think might have heard the Dirt Fionn as well, but anyway, um, she presents herself to them as Glan Lua, um, and she says that she's, she basically got, got separated from her husband in the thrill of the chase. Um, and the mist. Exactly. Oh, and lost. if they are the Fiona, then they've never left a pretty woman to fend for herself on a hillside, have they? Now, I think that this isn't just any old woman. I think that this... Any old woman. Any beautiful young woman. Any beautiful young woman either. I think that this is the deer, possibly transformed, you know, yeah, through, the, yeah. through the mist, whatever. She, After all, she calls herself Glan Lua, uh, which I would translate as pure speed. So, old amphetamine legs then. Maybe not quite. <laughs> it's a 
I don't know what the Fianna's <laughs> drug policy was. <laughs> well, they keep going, don't they? Yeah. I, it's just, but as you say, Fionn and being Fionn, he insists on honourably taking care of this woman, though he miss. He can't promise to reunite him with her husband. Not this time. He'd love to. But unfortunately, at the moment, he's totally lost. Yes. Geography has got the better of him. <laughs> Well, after Fionn and Dara and Glanlua have been wandering around in the mist for a bit, um, they hear a strange fairy music, um, but a bit like a fart, they all think someone else is doing it. Is that coming from you? <laughs> exactly. No, no, Was no, that no, you? No, 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 that wasn't I'm me. I'm not making music. No. <laughs> I'm not making music. Not me. <laughs> so after this, but of course, being fairy music, it then makes them sleepy. So there's obviously some kind of poison gas involved as well. And they all fall asleep. And when they wake up, uh, they are in a completely different place. The mist is all gone. Um, they're on the shore of a very strange kind of lake, which has two sides to it. Well, like all lakes. But <laughs> read the description. I'm not going to be able to do it properly. Yeah, it's like as if it's an isthmus, really. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. sort of double lake. There's big lakes either side and then this little narrow channel. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. A- that's right, a con. Yeah, exactly. The other side of this little narrow channel, they see a mysterious kind of otherworldly palace. Yeah, they they, they are. I really think they're in the other world. Yeah. There's, there's all sorts of things. One, it's a beautiful summer's day. Exactly, now, yeah. Instead of a sort of miserable, misty time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you've got wind on either side, but this narrow channel is mm. completely... There's not a breath of air. Yeah. You know, this is typical of this uh, transition to the other world. Mm. Of course, this weakness... Oh, yes. Is, um, well, it's a bit like Cormac. When he crosses over, he comes out of his castle, walks straight into a mist and finds himself in the other world. Yes. It's not uncommon. Exactly. And neither is the weakness mm. caused by the fairy, the weakness or sleepiness caused by a fairy music. Yeah. Or just by crossing through the mist. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's not quite a natural transition. No, but it's still kind of a bit redolent of that kind of falling asleep or dreaming or sort of yeah, it's a losing dream attention. State, dream yeah, state. yeah, yeah. It would, if it was on television, it would be going woodly woo, woodly woo, woodly woo. Oh, woo. Yeah. (laughs) No, we don't give up on that one. (laughs) From the other side of this little lake isthmus, they see a great giant dressed as a warrior and his sister, and they dive in the lake and swim across to the shore where Fionn and Dar and Glamlu are, um, and who are, of course, still weak as kittens from the after effects of the good old fairy music. Um, And they're just grabbed by the giant and his sister, and swim back across to the other side of the lake without a word of explanation. Now, this is a bit of a change from the usual appearance. Once you get to the other world, some noble fairy warrior yeah. appears. You know, I'm using fairy in the yes. in the medieval sense, of course. But this idea of this warrior in all his glory appears and gives them some piece of prophecy or yeah, poetry. Yeah. And here it's just a really rough, ugly old giant yeah. who says, oi, grabs him by the <laughs> neck. Yeah. He's accompanied by this very beautiful young woman. Oh, yes. But she also just grabs another one by I the know, neck. They yeah. just go, and they're gone. Yeah, she She's not, not very pleasant herself either. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and they just end up in a dungeon. They do. And at last, though, they do get some explanation of what it is they're supposed to have done wrong. And uh, the giant introduces himself as Drian Tor, and that he's accompanied by his sister, Elna. And he says to Fionn that in the Battle of Nukanar, that Fionn slew... Aelna's husband and Driantor's sons. I love Fionn's response. He goes, It was a battle! <laughs> what do you expect? People get killed in a battle! And what's more, it was you who attacked me! Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't do him any good, though, no. does it? It's <laughs> an occupational hazard of being a warrior. <laughs> so Fionn and Dara end up 
chained up in a dungeon. Uh, although Granlua yeah. manages to get herself out of this dungeon by explaining that she has never seen these two <laughs> gentlemen before in her life and wouldn't <laughs> normally associate with them and doesn't know anything of their history whatsoever. But Aelna um, says, well, in that case, it would be unjust to keep you locked up. So that's all right. But Glanlua still does try to, you know, do something for the imprisoned lads, and she does manage to get food and drink brought into them. And she also then extols the virtues of Dara the Melodious's wonderful music. Oh, she goes, oh, you should hear him, it would melt your heart. Now, Eleanor, of course, isn't interested. She just mm. wants to fear the dead, doesn't yes. she? Yeah, very Just revenge. Practical, you know, just kill him, that's it. But it done. seems that Driandor is kind of intrigued. Mm. And uh, he goes to ask Dara to play for him. Mm. Uh, now, he says he'll let him out of the dungeon, doesn't he? You yeah. play for me. You know, come and be my bard and I'll let you out. Exactly, sort of yeah. Uh, what, what about Fionn? Nah, he's going to die. Ah. But he's, of course he says, I'm not coming out if you won't let Fionn out. Yeah. But they, they come to some sort of deal where mm. uh, if the spell and the chains, presumably, yeah. are taken off uh, Fionn and Dara, Dara will play for him for a while and yeah. then they're going to have the chains put back on. Yeah. This doesn't really seem to help our heroes terribly much because the Fiona, who are still all out, all over the landscape, uh, lost in the bog, hear this music gather together, rush up and knock on the palace door. What a surprise. They also end up ensorcelled. They're all dumped in the dungeon and now we find them fixed to the floor, unable to move. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems that as the giant, once he's got the full set, he sort of turns up the spell. Yeah. They don't need chains anymore. So when, wherever they are thrown, whether yeah. they're sitting, lying, whatever, mm. they just find themselves like fixed to the floor with some sort of mag magnet. Yes, or a sonic transducer. So. Yeah, all right. <laughs> If you say so. Uh -huh, I do. But it gets nasty here because the giant wanders in every evening and beheads one or two of the Fiona mm. with his great big sword, mm. saving Fionn and Dara to last yeah. so they can witness the rest of their crew dying. Well, this is getting really kind of gruesome. I mean, it's quite horrible and gothic-y. It does put me in mind somewhat of the Odyssey and uh, the episode with the Cyclops. Polyduces, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. You know, very possibly. Yeah. Well, there's always cross-fertilisation. Oh, oh no, I think this is quite a unique story. Yeah, I think this is definitely its own pang. Meanwhile, elsewhere in this epic, Glanlu's husband, Laveron, is discovered searching the castle for his missing wife. And uh, he gets lifted and lumped into the dungeon with all the rest of them. But not before he's had a bit of a recce of the place and has had a wee chat with his missus and Glanlua has told him how when she was released from the dungeon the spell was lifted from her by means of this magical golden drinking horn. Right. So if only our heroes of the Fiona could somehow get their hands on this conveniently placed magical object. Now in the midst of all this action we sort of lost track of our central protagonist. Where's Colin in all of this? <laughs> well, he got stuck in the dungeon with all the others. Mm -hmm. And when he got thrown in, he ended up when the sort of magnet or whatever you called it went on. Sonic transducer. Sonic transducer. Thank you. He got stuck lying on his back flat mm -hmm. on the floor, unable to move hand or foot. Mm -hmm. And there he is. Uh, and uh, he gets to be hero now, though he's constantly described as being motivated by cowardice. Mm -hmm. So what happens when the giant comes in to behead him? Yeah. He lifts the sword to, to cut off his head, and Colin is described as being so terrified that stuck to the floor or no, he just leaps into the air, a bit like a cat on a range or yeah. something, or, or, or an oven. If you, unfortunately, you have seen that. Oh, you? I have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> four legs at four, all at all once. All four feet, yeah. And then lots of butter. Yeah. <laughs> 
Right, let's get back to the story. Yes. <laughs> so that's so, how Colin jumps into the air. <laughs> just like a cat covered in butter. <laughs> he leaps into the air and, of course, to separate himself from the floor, he takes the skin yeah. of his back. And it describes it as from neck to heels yeah. all the way down his oh. back. Well, the giant just gloats a bit and then says, I'll come and finish you off tomorrow night <laughs> unless you've already died of your wounds yeah. well when the giant returns to finish him off next night Colin's had time to think and he remembers hearing about this magical drinking yes. horn that Lavron had told, told exactly. him about yeah. and thinks right if I can just get my hands on this and he comes up with a really good idea mm -hmm. so the giant is just about to kill him he says no wait 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 look um there's no fun in you killing me when I'm half dead <laughs> That's not much of a buzz. Why don't you um, heal me first mm -hmm. and then you can kill me afterwards? Wouldn't that be more fun? <laughs> yeah. Now, the giant thinks this is a good idea. Yeah. So he sends his sister to get the magical drinking horn. Now, yeah. she's not impressed. No, she's not quite as uh, easy to convince. She's not as convince. gullible. And she doesn't bring back the horn, but she does bring back, guess what, a sheepskin. Aha, here we have it. And so she um, puts the sheepskin on his Back. There it sticks. She goes, now you want me to do this? Why? And he says, well, just so I can be healed and then die. And she goes, okay, you're fine. <laughs> now the sheepskin does heal him, mm. but I love what it says, yeah. you know, because then it grows. And exactly. it says, as long as Conan lived afterwards, this sheepskin remained on his back and the wool grew upon it every year, even as wool grows on the back of a living sheep. And from that time forth, the other Fiona were always mocking him and laughing at him and calling him nicknames. And I suppose shearing him as well. <laughs> Yeah, and here time. we have this buffoon quality yes, to him. Yes, exactly. He's getting that now. Yeah, exactly. Now he's getting the piss ripped out of him. But of course, there's still the problem with the giant wanting to kill him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's been, remember, officially he's been uh, healed so he can die a warrior's death. Yes. Now, he's, has, he's got this bit sorted too, because when the giant comes back with his big sword, uh, uh, there's Colin going, well, you know, um, I've been looking around and I could see you really need a good, loyal servant. Now, I'm your man. <laughs> and for some reason, the giant believes him and said, yeah, you'll make a loyal servant. Yeah. Off you come out of the dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Why does everyone believe what Colin says? Well, this, I think, is really interesting and very important, because we did talked before when Conan was taunting Dermot in the last story yeah. uh, and that Dermot seemed to take that taunt so seriously and we talked about the threat of satire. Now, I think that as well as being a poison tongue, Conan is something of a silver tongue. Uh, so it's the other side, the poet of the satirist. Exactly, is that yeah. he can also butter people up. And it seems very clear in this, if you read through uh, the story in detail, that any time Conan says something directly it is believed that because here Dreantor goes off and he says to Alna, you know, I've noticed I really need a servant. And she goes, why do you think that? Says, well, Conan said it. Says, why are you listening to him? He's just going to turn around and stab you in the back. But then even when she approaches Conan and, yeah, you know, yeah. says, what yeah, should I heal you? One of the fear, the fear, I'm going to die. Exactly. And he says, all I want to do is be healed so that I can die a noble death. And when he says it, she accepts yeah, it. Yeah. So I think that this is really central to Conan and to who he is. His words have power. Yeah. Yeah. So there's more than just this, this comical buffoon mm -hmm. has a much deeper meaning. It's what we were talking about earlier, wasn't it? Yeah. The idea of the uh, the poet becoming yes. the jester. Exactly. And the wise fool. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and you, you get almost to that sort of Shakespearean wise fool quality exactly, of Feste. Yeah. Or that, yeah. Yeah. But it's 
Dara's music that saves the day. Well, yes, certainly creates the opportunity. Now, he's playing his music again, and it's not really clear whether it was the case that the instrument was stuck in his hands when they all got stuck to the floor, or whether uh, the giant Dreantor has given him, you know, special dispensation so that he can listen to the music. But either way, the music's coming from the dungeon, and Dreantor is very much drawn towards it. He moves off to the dungeon to yeah, listen more yeah. closely, kind of forgetting that Conan is in possession of the magical drinking horn He's been holding at it for that him, moment. He? Yeah, it exactly. So he has access to it. And as soon as Dreantor has gone off to listen to the music, Conan quickly hides it under his cloak and then follows the giant down to the dungeon. Um, <laughs> so they're there and the giant has opened the dungeon door and there's Conan behind them and the giant goes, what are you doing here? And Conan goes, oh, well, I'm your servant. You know, I thought I'd just follow you. And besides which, I wanted to have a look at the Fiona before you kill them all. And the giant goes, oh, okay. All right. All right. Hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah. Where's my horn? <laughs> uh, what did you do with it? And Conan goes, oh, no, I just left it back up in the palace where where I found it. And he goes, oh, all right then. But obviously the giant has got a bit worried about this because he tears off then to go and check that the horn is safe. <laughs> Meanwhile, in rushes Colin to the dungeon to try and rescue all the lads. It's It's wonderful, yeah. Yeah, well, Colin frees Fjorn and Oscar first, yes. doesn't he? And Oscar immediately starts off to fight the giant. Yeah. Because being just like his granddad, Fjorn, he gives the giant the off-honourable choice of single combat with the giant. And the giant goes, all right, then I'll fight you one at a time. And Oscar, you first. Yeah. Now, of course, Oscar is there going, well, this is how we do things in the Fianna. He's not going to get trapped by being accused of unfair combat again, because yeah. that's how this whole business started. So anyway, Oscar naturally kills the giant. Everyone says, hooray! And then they all go off, they eat lots and they drink lots and they fall asleep. And when they wake up, they're back at sleep food exactly where they started. And no sign of the mysterious and conveniently helpful Glanlua and her husband. Perhaps she's off eating grass, being a deer again. <laughs> so if we look at what elements we've got, we've got yeah. the heroes lost while hunting. Yes, there's the Involvement of the deer, of which Glanlua, isn't in the other story, which isn't. It seems particular to this story, and my ears kind of pricked up with it because, of course, Fionn actually goes off with a deer woman, Sive, and it's from that union that Ushin is born. Yeah, Ushin uh, being a little deer, and then of course Ushin's son is Oscar. Oscar. So there really is a connection. Oh, there is. This is yeah, very the... much about Oscar and Ushin. Yes, and then uh, of course they're held by magic, probably in the other world. I mean, the the other story has um, a palace of the Quicken Trees. Mm. Rowan. The ruins frequently associated with other worlds. Yes, and frequently. with that sort of uh, enchantment as well. I think in um, Mither and Aideen, I think that Fulmnuk's wand is described as a rowan. Oh, it's a shapeshifter, all right. Oh, yeah, exactly. Kian yes. has a rowan wand. Yeah, to turn himself into a pig. Uh, but there is another story, um, a Fenian story, where um, there's oh. a, a magic tree with berries that will give life that Grania desperately needs. Yes. And it, that's another story. Exactly. But again, it's still a quicken tree. Yeah, and they do show up all over the place. And I would say, like, all that stuff about the, the mist, the music, the change in the weather, that is all pure of the world, isn't it? We've got the main thing about Conan losing the skin of his back. Yes. That's there now. It is. Yeah. And the healing with the sheepskin. Yes. Yeah. Although it comes kind of in the middle. It's not the sort of the end point which it becomes in the modern story. And I like what it says about how after that he was always being called names and being mocked by the rest of the Fiona. Even though he was, it was kind of his quick thinking that really helped. Uh, and he's been described as motivated by cowardice. Yeah. But it, it's sort of quick thinking, isn't it? It is. I think he lives on his wits and his words. 
you know, and that business about any time he speaks to an enemy, they believe what he says. I think that's really crucial. Poet to clown. There doesn't seem to be any trace of Conan's gluttony. No, although he is associated with a big horn of booze. I don't know whether that's of significance. And there isn't the taunting either. Yeah, um, yeah. But that taunt in the other story was very specific to Dermot. It was that thing about Dermot and you wouldn't leave a, a woman here. Woman, yeah. yeah. So, and of course, Dermot is Sir Not appearing in this film. He doesn't yeah. show up in this adventure at all. Dara, though, has this sort of aesthetic artistic quality mm. that one would associate with Dermot. Mm-hmm. You know, a like, lover of fine things. Yeah. Although in Dermot's case, it's usually it's women. women. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Dara isn't nearly so well known as he doesn't come into so many stories. No, I mean, I mean, it's certainly not someone that would immediately spring to my mind as a member of the Fianna. I mean, the name just means Oakwood. Oak, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I can't sort of immediately recognise him as a common member of the Fianna. Yeah, and yet it can't be just a mistake because it, the music is so central. Exactly, exactly. And it's yeah. really particular to this story. And like yeah. you said, it's sort of between Conan's words and Dara's music. Those are the mm-hmm. elements that see them through. And a little bit of help from Glan Lua. <laughs> Your dear. Yes, my dear dear. Now, there's a couple of things I wanted to say about the dating of this story and of the text. Um, Mm. Now, in his introduction, P.W. Joyce uh, talks about how he doesn't have a manuscript source earlier than the 19th century. Yeah, I know. I thought this probably meant that we were dealing with a sort of late transcription Mm. of a much earlier oral story. Yeah. Now, I can't agree with that, and I don't think that Joyce would have either. Now, there's a few reasons for this. Part of it is that in that introduction, he's actually talking about three stories at once when he's talking about the manuscript sources, um, and that in other footnotes, um, he places this story in a, co- a much earlier context. And I don't think that he would have missed uh, this change of voice right at the end of the oh, story. Oh, yeah. Well, story suddenly, out of the blue, mm. changes into the first person. It yes. goes on, oh, my son did this, yes. referring to Oscar. Oscar, yes. Yeah, and, and, and we were obvi- all freed. And, yeah. yeah. And it's obviously Oshin talking, Exactly, isn't it? exactly. And that gives us a big clue. Um, and in these footnotes, Joyce does say that this is a tale that Oshin related to St. Pat. And now, of course, that is the context of the Ogle of Nishinorik. Mm-hmm. And that is, in some ways, it's the first Fenian text, if you like. Um, it's one of the oldest ones, isn't well, it? Well, it dates from about the 12th century. Yeah. So, And this is when the Fenian stories began to be written in literary form. But the Ogle of is kind of the first and foremost in many ways, which is all about Usheen telling St. Patrick of the lore of the land and of the Fianna and all other things related to it. Not the easiest text to work one's way No, it's, it's not. But again, because a lot of it is Dinhenicus, and uh, if you don't necessarily know the places or the stories, which are just very glancingly referred yeah, yeah. to, it can just seem like a long list of names. Yeah, you're quite right. It just, I, I sort of assumed from what he said in the preface yeah. that that's what we were dealing with. Mm. And although I've read as much as I can mm. of the Ogle of Shinora, yeah, yeah. it's not easy. And anyway, we yeah. haven't really got into Fionn yet. Exactly. I mean, Not these... in great detail. <laughs> well, all of these are, are among the many, many reasons that we haven't yet got to <laughs> our, se- our long promise series on Fionn. We're working on it. We no, are. We're working on we it. Another thing that I think sets this further back, if you like, as a story, is the specific mention of the Tim Palm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Now, I had to explain 
what it was. And I think that even from medieval times, there's been confusion over what kind of an instrument it was. And I think that if this was an 18th or 19th century oral telling, I feel the storyteller would have changed that from a tympan to a harp. You know, oral stories do frequently retain a lot of detail. They do, but it still has to make sense. And there's yeah. no sense in retaining a term, tympan, that has no immediate meaning You're to right. its audience. I mean, earlier on we said that although the main elements mm. in the narrative stay the same, and they do with yeah. the stories we've looked at so far today, but it's it's true that we, we talked about the settings, mm. locations, and, and and sometimes the causes for them do happen. So I yeah. think, um, yeah, it's an interesting discussion. This it, is. it raises as many questions as answers. Of course. And again, this is going to be, we're going to be beset with exactly this kind of issue when we do delve all the way neck so deep into the, the field. The closer we get to it, <laughs> the more, um, more confused it's yeah, going to be. And basically. more buggy the ground. <laughs> well, now, here's another version. It's, I don't think, quite as convoluted as the others that we've come across. But this was collected by Jeremiah Curtin, as you said, and he seems to have picked it up in my old stomping ground, Kerry, uh, around Carsveen. Well, that's where he seems to have collected yeah. it. Yeah, and the story even mentions Tralee as well, so it's it's definitely down around that part of the country. This version begins with a long earlier part of the story, which we're not going to reference no. now, but we'll make available. Begins with a cowherd who's really a bruggard, mm -hmm. till he turns out, so he says, to be the son of the King of Alba. Yeah, now this as we might expect. This is Mythic, and indeed, right back in the first version that Joyce uh, translated, um, remember when Fionn set up his foster son with so much wealth and land that he was, in fact, a Bruggett. Mm -hmm. And um, as we know from other versions, King of Alba, King of Lochlan, King of somewhere else. Yeah, it's over the sea, it's over there. In fact, mm -hmm. there's a linguistic idea that both Alps and Alba, which is the Irish word term for Scotland, mm -hmm. does actually mean yonder. It does actually mean over there. Yeah, the king from somewhere else. Exactly, yeah. Like uh, in the previous one, the um, top boss is called the king of the world. Exactly, yeah. Though I did point out sometimes that um, the devil is known mm. as the king of the world, or yeah. the king of this world. Yeah. You know, this is late enough for it to be, to have that over, oh, that, yeah. that, that, that sort of influence. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, um, but well, anyway, sure enough, he invites our heroes to a feast that turns out to be a trap. Yep. Now I'm going to read one little bit from Jeremiah Curtin. It's the same bit I've read from all the stories. Yeah. When the Fenians came to the place, they found the finest castle that could be seen. There were three fires in each room and seven spits at every fire. And when they'd gone and sat down in their place, there was but one fire in each room. Rise up, every man of you, said Fiona, we're lost, for this is an enchanted place. They tried to rise, but each man was fastened to his seat and to the seat of the floor, and not one of them could stir. Then the last fire went out. And they were in darkness. Ooh. Yeah, it's a real sort of gothic story, yeah, isn't it? It is right. Oh, maybe Horace Walpole heard it and used it as a basis for the castle of the Toronto. <laughs> well, I find it interesting. This is the first time that Fionn has actually seen it for himself. Every other time it's been laboriously pointed out to him, you know, yes, this is your foster son. Yes, we're actually in trouble here and in Do something. <laughs> but even in this version, yeah. he can't, he's told, chew on your thumb. Exactly. Still and still all he says is, Oh, stuffed. Exactly. Yeah. There's no way out. Yeah. <laughs> but what they do do mm. is instead of sitting there and sadly lamenting the chance, what was it called? The, the dirt fiend. Yeah. yeah. This time he just puts his fingers in his mouth and whistles. Yeah. So it's become a bit simple. I think a lot of <laughs> simplified in this version, I have to it's say. It's the, the latest. latest. 
of the ones we're looking at exactly today. yeah um now uh, this whistle is heard from somewhere up north yeah. where his two sons who have completely different names this oh time. this is great these are pogon and, and kyolon yeah so. and uh, they are one of them's hurling and the other's fishing and mm. they go oops did you hear that yeah oh that means our father and the fenians are in trouble and so they leg it yeah. right down the country yeah. and knock on the door of the very castle where um, you know they're all trapped exactly well i mean uh, fion says look um, lads, don't come near us. We're really in trouble. We're in danger of death. It is this night. And, you know, you you come in, you'll get trapped too. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tells them that, uh, that there is a ford nearby. So the ford's mm-hmm. there again. And there is a great army of the, mm. you know, the King of Alba yes. is coming to, with his whole army mm. to kill them. Yes. And uh, so off they go and hold the ford. Once again, yeah. But this time, overnight, they kill, it just says they kill the whole army. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't give as much detail, yeah, thankfully. They just say, they fight and they fight and they fight and they kill the whole army yeah. and they go, that's done it. Yeah. And then they go back to the castle and they mm. knock on the door and Fionn says, oh no, there's more to do yet. And he yeah. says, go back to the ford because there's an old hag and she's coming along with a little pot. Yes. And Which, she will... The, the Irish for a little pot would be potteen. (laughs) And she's going to put a drop of the liquid from Mm -hmm. the pot on the lips of every one of the slain warriors Mm. and they will come to life again. So you're going to have to go and fight the army all over again and kill the hag warrior about it. Of course. So they go, yep, all right, and off they go back to the ford. Mm. But this time, as the hag is bringing back all the slain warriors to life. She's also there with fairy music. Yes. And the fairy music begins to make them go so sleepy that they begin to fall asleep. Mm. And one brother's going, hey, you tread on my foot and I'll tread on yours. Sleep is awake. <laughs> and when that doesn't work and they're still falling asleep, they push their spears right through their foot to try yeah. and keep them awake. It still doesn't work and they fall asleep. <laughs> Well, the hag by this time has reached the ford mm. and nearly restored the whole army mm. when she trips over the sleeping brothers and the rest of the contents of the pot fall all <laughs> over them. <laughs> now, this kind of wakes them up. Yeah. And because they weren't dead, yes. they rise stronger than the rest of the they army and they strength. take massive stones out of the bed of the river mm. and lob them at the army. <laughs> and they kill all the army and then they kill the hag. Yay. That's <laughs> great. It's really good, isn't it? <laughs> then they go back and knock on the door again. They say, yeah. now can we rescue you? Oh, no, Sefion, you haven't finished yet. Now, <laughs> what you have to do this time is to go up to the north of the country again, where you'll find three kings who have three silver goblets. Now, today, the, so they're going to get there. Broom, like yeah. that, like flash. These kings are holding a feast in a fort today. You must go and cut off their heads and put their blood in a goblet and then bring them back here. <laughs> and when you come, rub the blood on the keyhole of the door and it will open. Mm-hmm. And then you can come in and rub the seats we're sitting on and then we'll be okay. Mm. So, it, and so we've got the blood of these three kings again, which we did have in that first version. But this time it's in three goblets, yes. not in a drinking horn yeah. or whatever it was. I can't remember. Well, it was just the blood in, the general, blood in general. I, think. I don't think okay. the vessel mattered. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> kind of about the drinking horn full yeah. of wine, wasn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of this. Yeah. Now, the next line of the story goes, so they brought the goblets of blood to Kazarine. <laughs> Which I'm quite thankful for, to be honest with you. <laughs> so it's, well, they managed it. Yeah. Come back. They've no done problem. that bit. And the doors of the castle fly open and there's light everywhere. Mm. And um, then they rub blood on the chairs of all the Fenians and mm. they free them all, except they run out of blood. Yes. And there's none left to rescue Colin Well, yeah. who was sitting on the floor because he didn't have a chair. Yeah. 
and he's got his back to the wall and the last drop of blood blood is gone and they're all trying to escape like mad mm. and they're ignoring God. Yeah, they're, they're quite happy to like leave him behind. Yeah. <laughs> and it says, you know, he never had a good word in his mouth for any man. Yeah. So they just ignored him. Yeah. And uh, just before they all go, and there's Connor left, stuck in the place. Yeah. And Connor turns around to Diamond and says, you know, if there was a beautiful woman sitting on the floor, you wouldn't leave her to die, would you? And they go, all right. <laughs> So uh, Diamond takes him by one hand, uh, Gullet Mourner takes him by the other hand. He's just yeah. about to abandon his brother, you know. Uh, yes, I know, yeah. And they pull him from the wall. Yeah. And this yeah. is where he loses the skin of his back. But we've had the taunt again. Once mm. again, that's instrumental. Now, this is right. When they're on their way home, why they're going to the hill of Allen via Tralee, I'm not quite sure. Well, it's very hard to get out of Kerry at all. Going without going to, to Tralee. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. true. You're yeah. the Kerry expert. <laughs> I don't know. That, I can't even remember where Caserine is. Caserine's the next uh, peninsula down. It's actually very close oh, to Port McGee. That's right. That's how the Kerry get, Yeah, which is yeah. how you get to the Skelligs and to Valencia yeah. Island and yeah. so on. It's, an, it's actually the Ivera Peninsula. Tralee's at the top. So of they're Dingle coming up, aren't they? That's yeah, right. Exactly. I've got it the wrong way around. Yeah, yeah. I should know it well enough. I know the Kerry Ring well enough. Yeah. Anyway, look, I'm interrupting the story. <laughs> so they're just going through Tralee, yeah. and there's poor Colin going, oh, this hurts, oh, you know, and he really is in agony. Yeah. So they stop and kill a sheep, mm-hmm. and they put the raw fleece of the, the sheep, stick it on his back to shut him up. Yeah. There it's stuck, and there it grew. Yes. And never were the feelings in want of a woolly hat, etc. <laughs> it doesn't quite say woolly hat in no, this it version. Doesn't. That's me being modern. <laughs> but it says, and he was so well and strong, they sheared him every year and got wool enough from his back to make flannel and freeze for the Fiannans of Ireland ever after. Yeah. It's lovely. It's isn't great. It? It's wonderful. So each version has got its charm. Yes. But bit by bit, we've got the lot. Let's just recap what we've actually got before we go on to see if we've got the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. You've got the fight with the army seems to be at everyone. Yes. And in in several of them, it's holding a forward. It's one or two, but not in warriors, not in the chase of sleeve food, but in the other ones, that motif of holding the forward is very prevalent. Each time Fionn's magic, chewing mm. his thumb or mm. the tooth of knowledge mm. doesn't help him at all, does it? I don't think it comes off terribly bright in these ones. He has to be prompted each time to, you know, stick his thumb in his mouth. And then when he does all he sees is just how doomed they all are. Mind you, he seems to be pretty good at calling for help. Yeah, the whole, the whistling or the dirt's Fionn, you know, that seems to work alright. But again, I just keep thinking he he doesn't notice the bloody obvious, you know. <laughs> He doesn't think, oh, we're all stuck. What on earth shall we do? Use your magic powers! <laughs> In some ways, this is the, the power of the, the seer, the yeah. poet. You know, it's poor Cassandra. You exactly. Know, yeah, yeah. We're doomed. Exactly. Yeah. Out of this one. Yeah. I love the way the, 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 uh, the chant mm. seems to be a much older form. Now, the yes. storyteller of the last version yeah. has gone, he put his fingers in his mouth <laughs> and he whistled. Exactly. And he heard it up in Ulster. Exactly. <laughs> You've got the one new element that mm. interests me, the hag. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, she's reviving the army mm-hmm. even as they're trying to destroy it. Yeah. And again, you know, she's there at a ford, you know, yeah, to help to... Yeah, washer at the ford, the hag of the ford. Exactly. She's definitely an interesting character. Yeah. We'll come back to her we before yeah. we finish. And I like the way that because they're not dead, mm. when the liquid falls yes. on them, yeah. they rise up extra strong. They're given superpowers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because something was meant to happen. It was not yeah. meant for that purpose. Exactly, it's yeah. It's really neat. It is nice, yeah, yeah. Now, you've got the three kings yes. in the first version, yes. the Joyce version. Yeah. And uh, the blood 
Which is the key to opening the door. Exactly. And that sort of, that that will break the enchantment in these ones. But what we finally have in this version is that wonderful detail that there's not quite enough of the blood to go round. Now, you commented on the the, the other version Mm. that he seems to suddenly drop out of the story. At that point, yeah. That suddenly we're not thinking where Colin is, and exactly. yet up till then he's been central to the story. Yeah, yeah. It seems to me that for some reason the written version of the story yeah. has forgotten it. Yeah, yeah. And that this is what should be there. But exactly. once again, there's not enough blood to go round. Yeah. And so he has to be pulled from his chair yeah. or pulled from the floor in yeah. that case. Yeah. It's very hard to see that that would be missing exactly. when there's obviously a gap in the story. Yeah, yeah. So this definitely fits just for some reason it got dropped so that we can uh, reasonably extrapolate that yeah. it was there we, that we can't it, prove it think, we yeah. could yeah. yeah though obviously we can't prove it but, yeah. but it seems very likely yeah uh, the taunt is there this seems to be really important and it's it's almost exactly the same form even though it comes at slightly different yeah. points in the different stories but in each one it's a moment where Conan's being left behind or he's in yeah, dire yeah. straits and it's Dermot that he picks on. You know, in each one, it's yeah. it's serious enough that Dermot has to drop what he's doing Which and do a common sense. does of satire, It is it? completely, yeah. And it makes me think, now I have a taunt at Dermot at the beginning. Yeah. But I'm going to put that back in because I think it's a bit of the story which uh, I'm missing, which I need to put back in. It seems pretty central. We've now got the sheepskin. Ah, yes, of which course. Which I good think... Carry sheep. One thing that's not there in this version is the gluttony motif. It's yeah. just not there. Yeah. Conan's gluttony is never mentioned mm, mm. and it's really important to the other two and is obviously clearly part of his character. Yeah. Well, these unexpected names for Fionn's sons, yeah. where do they come from? Well, at first I didn't think much of them. I thought they were a bit random. You've got Pogon or Pogon and Kyolon. Um, but then I sort of stepped back and took a bit of a look and particularly Pogon, at first I thought it was Pogue as in a kiss, yeah. but actually it's Puck. Ah, wait a minute, yes. Puck. Yes. (laughs) And many other things besides. And of course, here's a story from the Kingdom of Kerry. And who is King of Kerry? Yes, Puck. And, you know, this takes me back to the second story. Yes. Where they were all getting sent over the landscape anywhere. You know, doesn't it remind you of Puck? (laughs) Yes, and the Midsummer Night's Dream. (laughs) Which, of course, Shakespeare got the idea from somewhere not too far away from there. Well, yeah, down around Donrail, down in uh, County Court. Yeah, yeah. But it it is interesting, isn't it? Isn't it? This, it is. And the goat. See, the puck is, we usually think of it as a goat. Uh, it's the same yeah. uh, root as we get the puka, obviously. Yeah. Very apt for this time of year. But it can also mean a he deer. And ah, this kind that's of thing is even better, isn't it? Exactly. So it was a he, not a she. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was in this version anyway. But of course, a he deer is an usheen. Well, usheen is a little deer. That's yeah, literally yeah. what it means. So puck on, which again, has, deer, has, it's a little deer. It's another so, way of saying exactly the same thing. So it's just a sort of, um, divin, you know, a sort of pet name. Yeah. For usheen. Yeah, exactly. Kyolon? Well, Kyolon, again, once I sort of realised that, then Kyolon seems that's to refer music. back to our second story again. Mm-hmm where we had Dara and the music being so central to him. Dara the Melodious. Exactly. And here we have Kyol, which is music. So here we have the little melodious one. Right. So we've got characters effectively, uh, well, at least two characters from the Fiona, yeah. even though one of them is not usually Fiancé. Exactly. But I think that that just gives it's us a little up, hint. Isn't it, it? it is. It does connect yeah, up. Of course it does. It's just one more thing, mm. that I think, before we leave this story completely, is it's the hag. So mm. why did she disappear from the other versions or get added into this one? Yeah. Well, she's quite recognisable. Very recognisable. I mean, you know, we've kind of referred, if you like, offhand 
hand to hag at the ford and sometimes the washer at the ford sometimes the washer at the ford you know it's a familiar folklore figure but of course we recognize the figure of the Morrigan at the ford of this is, this is again the late version it's very this is very late but after all we started right at the beginning with the beginning of the pw joyce version with that reference back to moitura mm. so there would have been mm. a consciousness about it but it is also this folkloric figure yeah thinking about bringing an army back to life mm. of course we met that in moitura as well exactly there was the whole sort of the well of sonia yeah. the warriors were put into the the well every night yeah. and were brought back to life exactly yeah. so there is this feeling with the particular story of column Wales. yes that at the back of it mm. moitura is there yeah it's yeah. turned up more than once yes yeah i mean I, I do like to think that it's possibly putchin which is this magic liquor <laughs> And so they put the... enough to bring an army back exactly, to life. Exactly, exactly. I wouldn't put it past... <laughs> enough to the... raise the dead. Exactly. I wouldn't put it past <laughs> the modern storyteller to have that in there. Well, it may mean more than one thing. Exactly. Well, I mean, even the English word liquor, you know, does co go back to this idea of an essence, a spirit mm -hmm. of life. You know, there's mm -hmm. a reason that it's the same word for spirit, you know. Um, so something that is that strong. You so know. there's a, probably a joke in here. That, I'd you know, say I wouldn't put it past them, put it that it way. It's the Hag of the Ford and yeah. it's not Ishka. Yeah, it's exactly. Ishka Baha. <laughs> Ishka Baha in her little pochine, <laughs> you know. It, <laughs> you can see that being a, a good yeah. little bit of play uh, and punning. But with this deep memory. Exactly, yeah. Of uh, Moitura underlying yeah. it all. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, yeah. There's one other thing. It's mm. the the, uh, the three kings mm. and the drops of blood, yeah, which will revive or, or undo the enchantment. The enchantment. Yeah, and in, in one of the versions, uh, I think in the Joyce version, it explains that the, it was the blood of these kings that's mixed in with the earth inside this that's palace. That's right, I never mentioned it. Yeah, it's yeah. The or the clay that yeah. they've brought with them. It's exactly, the, it's yeah. It's the yeah. quickentry, because exactly. there's two Joyce versions. Yeah, but yeah, that they had brought earth with them from their home, and they had mixed it in with the blood of these three kings in order to create this power well of the i think it's just yeah it's just that it's their soil yeah, yeah. therefore it's only their own blood that exactly. can undo the power yeah. of the the clay from their own land yeah but i mean it's a very very powerful image. yeah and it seems that it's, you know there are things here that we've met before yeah. as well i was just thinking again it's a sour story mm -hmm. and we were talking about do you remember when we were talking about the witch of um, Schlieff uh, Lamont, which yes. is a, the Horned Women the horned of Schlieff Lamont, yeah. which is, of course, Lady Wilde's yes, um, yeah. collected story. Mm -hmm. uh, a wonderful poetic story, which we talked about before. Yeah, so I'm not In going to carrying, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there, the woman calls to the cake that's been mm. to wake her sleeping family, yeah. but they cannot wake because the meal has been mixed with blood mm. that's been drawn from the family, yeah. and it holds them in a death-like sleep. Mm. Mm. And... Uh, she has to remove this cake, mm. this meal from their mouths. Yes, in order to freeze them. Yeah, yeah. And so here you've got people trapped mm. by uh, until the, 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 this mixture of uh, this is meal and blood, yeah, but yeah. here it's clay. Yeah. Until that's reversed, they mm. can't be freed. Now it may be nothing to do with it, mm. but it suggests that there is something that that matters. The yes, power of blood. Absolutely, and uh, it put me in mind of things that I've heard about some of the traditions of Martinmas. Oh yeah, uh, which is. 11th of November yeah, is this is right? a time when it, traditionally the um, the animals were killed those exactly, that couldn't yeah. be kept yeah, in the winter time yeah. it's kind of the slaughter the pre-winter slaughter, yeah. slaughter 
Um, but but it was I, a time for ghosts. And yeah. It, it was like the other side of Samhain. Exactly. And yeah. a time when, you know, there's the old, the wife of Osh as well, and the sons mm. come back from the dead yeah. and, and all of this. And uh, it fell about the might and mass. You know, <laughs> the nights were dark dark and cold. Yeah. yeah. Or cold and dark, actually. Mm. But the, the, it is a time when the dead can return. Yes. Yeah. We talked about it at the beginning. Mm. All sorts of practices have to be... Things have to be done, done to keep these two worlds apart exactly, at that point yeah. because leeching into each other mm. is a bit awkward. Yeah, and, and I have heard people, so this would be living memory, talking about that either a, a, you know, a chicken, given sort of poverty, but one would presume a goose or you know larger animal would be slaughtered at Martinmas, but that the blood would be sprinkled in the four corners of the house. Mm-hmm. And so this is obviously some way of protecting the house or keeping those boundaries clear well the folk tales that we've talked about mm. from the horned women of Shikramon mm. to, to um, tiger cane and nira yeah. they do suggest the same thing exactly yeah um so in fact i think this is probably very deeply connected with this time of year if you have these you know kings from over the sea from the other place and that it has to do with blood on the door you know, yeah, and the that's... blood has to be put on the door and yeah, on the seat. Exactly, yeah, yeah. To bring them back to life again, basically, yeah. because they're trapped in a death-like state. Yeah, even though they're powerless. Yeah. They're powerless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a good story. Then mm. there's one other thing. Then <laughs> this is the third one other thing. Oh, <laughs> third one other thing. Okay, as bad as Columbo. Go on. <laughs> Sorry. No, I was just thinking. Have we really defined then who Conanwell is? Well. Uh, I think he's sort of not what we were entirely expecting, but also what we were expecting. Yeah. I mean, he, he is the comic buffoon. He certainly ends up that way. Ha- you know, there is a dark maliciousness. Mm-hmm. He is also the true speaker. I think that's really key. The wise fool. The wise fool and the satirist in the court. You know, he's he's an outsider. Um, he's from a different clan to, mm-hmm. to Fionn's, so his loyalty is... You know, uncertain. Also, he is an outsider. The mm. fact that often the, uh, uh, you know, the, the wise fool mm. has to be an outsider. Exactly. The yeah. stranger in the court. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Very Loki. Oh, yes. Loki, not Loki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Loki. Sorry, that came out of the blue. Yeah. I wasn't thinking Norse at that no, moment. No, 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 no. But, but you're quite right. The again, trickster. Exactly. But he's, he's from, you know, from outside of yeah. Aesir and Vanir. You know, he's completely other. How do I tell you you've been reading Norse legends? Oh, <laughs> yes, I know. I'm sorry. It's slightly in the brain yeah, well, at the moment. That's right. Well, I, I listened to the Castle of Rutan. Yeah. So <laughs> these things stay in your head. They do, yeah. Um, but, but, but that business uh, of telling uncomfortable truths yeah. which you know right through to both uh, the fool in Fingal Ronoin and then in Shakespeare's fools you know the ones who can say what no one else can yeah Lear's fool yeah who can, oh who, the who wonderful yeah. you've got so you start with the, the, the seer mm. you know the one who tells the truth but won't always be listened to yes which you have the, the Cassandra. Sort of Cassandra type yeah. you then go on to the fool loses the power of the poet yeah and becomes the jester. Yeah, yeah. And the, and or, the or, jester becomes the buffoon. Exactly. And, and in Irish, often, that's the brugador, which is, um, is it brugador? I can't remember the exact term in medieval courts, who is literally the farter. Yeah. You know, that that's his position. That's how far he falls, the Bora, you know? And we see the same thing in the stories of Colin exactly. Whale, from yeah. being a, the, the, the man of destruction. Yeah, the sharp-tongued satirist. Who could destroy yeah. a man or destroy a reputation. Absolutely. He ends up as the one who's just loudmouthed yeah. and uh, gluttonous. Exactly, yeah. 
No, it's an interesting journey. Yeah. But he's still a very funny character. Oh, he's great. Yeah, definitely. And he, he's got some great lines. I'll give him that most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what we've got here, we've got many variants. Mm. And yet there's the oral stories have managed to retain an awful lot, haven't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we find this again and again. And it is these sort of wonderful little details, such as the nature of Cunham's taunt, that kind of show you the consistency, even mm -hmm. when the settings change and even when the tone changes. You can recognise them as the same stories. Exactly. And there are elements of them that are identical all the way through. Exactly. That uh, often oral stories can actually retain a story better than a literary form. Exactly, because they're not being deliberately shifted for you know and not being political. shaped exactly for um uh, you know for other ends than purely the sake of the story exactly yeah and maybe i could put my own version into that long long <laughs> development <laughs> yeah yeah it's just i wanted something that would be recognizably iron age because yes. i'm always trying to get people not to think of medieval castles exactly but yeah to go back into our own history. Yeah, yeah. Rather than something which is just generally European. Yeah, exactly. And didn't really happen here, yeah. to be honest. Because people are thinking of medieval castles. Yes. So this is why I've taken it back a little, yeah. I think. Uh, but there are things I should put back in. Yeah. So I think what I wanted to finish with was uh, what Joyce said about storytelling, P.W. Joyce, in mm. 1920. Mm. And he, he writes this in the introduction to his book. Mm. Within my own memory, this sort of entertainment was quite usual among the farming classes of the south of Ireland. The family and workmen and any neighbours that chose to drop in would sit around in the kitchen after the day's work or perhaps gather in a barn on a summer or autumn evening to listen to some local shanaki reciting one of his innumerable tales. The storyteller never chose his own words. He always had the story by heart and recited the words from memory, often gliding into a sort of recitative poetical passages, or when he came to some favourite grandiose description abounding in high-sounding alliterative adjectives. <laughs> and very interesting it was to mark the rapt attention of the audience and to hear their excited exclamations when the speaker came to relate some mighty combat, some great exploit of the hero, or some other striking incident. Mm. And uh, I think if any storyteller would be pleased to be able to do that today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that yeah. kind of defines what you're trying to do, I would say, as a storyteller. But this story... Cullen Whale, then? Story of Cullen Whale, it's given us, as ever, such wonderful nuggets and discoveries and so much more to find. But it is a really good yarn, whether that has been carded off Cullen's own fleece. Um, <laughs> and just what you need for Halloween. Exactly, a tale to remember. Thank you for listening to Ogilaf Nanagus, conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on the storyarchaeologists at gmail.com. <laughs>